Welcome to Ag Annex Talks, a podcast brought to you by the agriculture brands of Annex Business Media. Join the teams behind Top Crop Manager, Potatoes in Canada, Fruit and Vegetable, Manure Manager, and Canadian Poultry Magazines for compelling conversations with some of the most important voices in Canadian agriculture. Bayer Crop Science is a proud supporter of influential women in Canadian agriculture. As a member of Canada's agricultural community, we recognize the hard work and contributions made by women to this important industry and support the sharing of their voices, stories, challenges, and achievements as a way to recognize everything they bring to the table each and every day. Hi, I'm Stephanie Crowley, the Editorial Director of Agriculture at Annex Business Media. In this episode of Egg Annex Talks, which is part of our Influential Women in Canadian Agriculture series, I chat with Leona Staples, president of the Jungle Farm Limited in Red Deer County, Alberta. Leona was nominated for the program by Susan Pateri, who says, when I think of influential women in agriculture, I think of Leona Staples. She lives by her values with all the passion and drive to promote agriculture in our area. After my chat with Leona, I definitely have to agree with Susan and I'm sure you will too. Enjoy this episode and thanks for listening. Hi, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Ag Annex Talks, the podcast brought to you by the Ag Brands at Annex Business Media. I'm Stephanie Crowley, the Editorial Director of Agriculture, and I am joined today by Leona Staples of The Jungle Farm. And Leona is one of our influential women in Canadian agriculture for 2021. Hi, Leona. Thank you for joining us today and congratulations. Well, thank you. I'm just delighted to be here. And here I can sit in Alberta and still have this visit with you. So it's awesome. It's wonderful. I wish I was there viewing your farm and seeing it in action because I I know that there's a lot of exciting things happening and um, we're going to get to that for sure. But um, I just wondered if you could start by uh, telling our listeners a little bit about you and your role um, and your background in agriculture. I know you've kind of been born into it, it sounds like to me. So um, I'm sure there's lots to share, but I'll let you uh, just introduce yourself a little. Sure. So yes, I grew up on the jungle farm and the jungle farm is in my family. So I'm the fourth generation and our boys are the fifth generation living on our farm and in the same house actually. So that's even kind of another cool part of our world. Um, I grew up on the farm, always was passionate about agriculture, always was um, one of those individuals that really believed in the production of food and the people who do that, but it wasn't the job I was going to do. And yet here I am 25 years <laughs> been on the farm, um, actively farming. So I wanted to uh, be an influencer in agriculture and, and help people, particularly women in agriculture. And when I was young in 4-H, I had the wonderful opportunity of uh, having this incredible young um, district home economist. So Alberta Agriculture had these extension agents that worked in communities and she was very involved in our 4-H program and I said to my mom at 13 years old that's who I want to be and so my world became very focused on that and that's what I did as I went through my high school years taking courses knowing what I needed to do to get into um, become a, a home economist and I graduated and I went on and got my bachelor's of science uh, with a major in home economics and when I graduated I became a district home economist and worked in multiple communities around um, Alberta um, working with women and it was a very um, 
a really neat opportunity for me. And I just, I loved that time. Um, when I got married, we had a great opportunity to go out to Goldeye Center, which is a cooperative owned and operated educational facility. And of course the cooperatives in Alberta are all agriculture. So again, I immersed in, in with people who were um, part of agriculture in various different forms, whether it was, you know, the UGG as a grain company or UFA as a retailer of agriculture equipment or, uh, or agriculture supplies or the cooperators who was, you know, a, a retailer in agriculture insurance. So, you know, just this big broad breadth of, of agriculture individuals who sat on the board. Um, and when we, our term came due there, my parents were looking to retire and be more um, farming, not doing the management part. They were, mm. they were tired of the paperwork and, uh, and that kind of part of it. And so we came back to um, my family farm and my husband had grown up on a farm and wanted to farm. Mm -hmm. And it was a opportunity for us to both be back on the farm. So here we are today doing what we do now. How cool. How cool is that? And, and so nice that, you know, you've had that conviction from such a young age and, and just knowing that you had this in your head, that this is what you wanted to do. And, and, and maybe it didn't turn out to be exactly the way that you wanted it at, at some points, but uh, how awesome is it that, you know, the, the jungle farm has been in your family for so long and now continuing with your, your children as well. That's wonderful. So can you tell me a little bit about your role at the Jungle Farm, um, your current role, I should say, um, and, and what do you like best about it? And that's a question that I always like hearing the answer from people and from women, because um, obviously every operation is very multifaceted, but um, I'm sure there's some, some exciting parts that, uh, that really get you going in the morning and get you out of bed. So I want to know what that is. Yeah, so our farm is really different from where my parents had it. So my parents had a mixed grain cattle operation and when we came back we had the great fortunate opportunity to be joined but to be asked to join Innisfil Growers. So Innisfil Growers is a group of five farms and each of us grows different things. We cooperatively market it to about mm -hmm. 20 farms throughout central Alberta and we were asked if we would grow strawberries because that was a piece that was missing out of their um, repertoire on the table of vegetables and fruits. And so Blaine, um, my husband has, uh, his knowledge in agriculture is, is varied and wide. I mean, not only does he have his degrees in agriculture, but he also grew up on a farm uh -huh. and he wanted the challenge of growing something different. And so he said, yeah, we'll, we'll take that on. And so, um, that's kind of how we started down the trend of where we are today. So we started with our very first strawberries and the very first year we sent them to the farmer's market. Um, people showed up on our doorstep looking to pick strawberries. And cool. that's not what we intended because we wanted to send them to the farmer's market. Right. And Alberta is very different from many other provinces because we don't have a direct marketing world. So we're not like some of the Eastern provinces or BC where people can just come to farm stands. That, mm -hmm. that isn't a normal thing in Alberta. And so we were going, well, uh, we put this in the back 40 and you know, we did all the wrong things to have a UPEC. And it made us change, relook at what we were doing. And today, if you were coming to our farm, you wouldn't know that we weren't set up to do exactly what we're doing. Because that's so we now have a farm store. We have um, direct marketing of of our fruits and vegetables where people can come and pick their own. We have um, an opportunity. We have a commercial kitchen where we can do all the value added. Uh, we have greenhouses to grow 
uh, flowers now, but we also start, we started them to just grow um, our vegetable transplants to plant out. We mm. do a pumpkin patch in the fall. So lots of things that many farms are doing and we have stolen ideas left, right and center across the board in the direct marketing industry. So we open in April, we close in October and uh, we, we have families come and visit us all through that time period. And what gets me up every morning is the, is the people, is the families, is the opportunity to, to educate and to share our farm. Because when I grew up um, I, and I went to a small town in Espel to go to school, mm -hmm. most of my classmates, I would say 50% or higher, came from actual working farms. Mm -hmm. And by the time my youngest son, who's now 18, went to school, he had one, one classmate that came from a working farm. And so people do want to connect. They do want the opportunity to have the chance to um understand agriculture they see it they see it as they drive down the countryside uh -huh. but how do they do that if grandma's not on the farm or aunts and uncles and 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 lots of families are new to Canada and they uh -huh. don't have that connection but uh -huh. even families that have lived here for all their lives um, and multi-generations have not got that connection anymore and I always think that's my my role is yeah. to connect people to agriculture to, to, to explain to them that no, that's a rabbit. And even though it's black and white, it is not a cow. Because people, you know, you to me, what would be normal common knowledge isn't in the general public because mm -hmm. I grew up with it. So mm -hmm. I know that's a Saskatoon tree. I know that's, you know, and they, it's just not something people know. And, and it's, to me, it's, it's exciting to be able to share that and to be able to talk to little kids and see their excitement and understanding that that flower is gonna make a strawberry or that that bee that's walking around in that, in that flower, in the big pumpkin flower is pollinating. Mm -hmm. Like to me to see that knowledge grow is fabulous. That's and awesome. that's me get up every morning is, I can do that every, every time of the year. Wonderful. Even now in the greenhouse, right? Like you can yeah. always share with with people um big or little yeah absolutely and I think in in the last year 15 months or so um there's been such a big focus on you know obviously there's not very much else to do right now and we're limited to staying at home and and being in a, in a pandemic life um you know, let's learn more about where our food comes from. Let's learn more about what happens, you know, in between when your strawberries are, are picked and, and how you purchase them at a market or a store or a roadside stand. I'm in um, Southern Ontario where that's a very popular thing to do, but um, you know, and especially for kids at home right now. Um, and I know that's a big part of what you're doing on the jungle farm is um, bringing in school students on in normal years, right. And things like that. So have you had to pivot that a little bit or how are you still getting able to, to teach and, and speak to people about agriculture and about what you're doing on your farm and, and just in general and in, in what the ag world does um, despite the COVID situation? Yeah, that's a piece I'm missing, which I'm really sad because last yeah. year of course, as schools closed and we right away all of our schools canceled and yeah and, uh, we have about 5,000 children come through so I know in Ontario that's small numbers but in in Alberta that's fairly quite a few students that I that's get to influence a little bit every yeah. year um and so unfortunately we lost them last summer or last spring 
We so hoped we'd see them in the fall. Didn't. Mm -hmm. We so thought for sure we'd see them this spring. Not. So what did we do? Um, Right away, to me, I'm really passionate about this. I'm really um, feeling, I feel this is really, truly is my calling. Like it Mm -hmm. is an opportunity for me to share something I grew up with that I love. Yeah. And how can I, how can I help these teachers? Like these teachers are trying to do things that they don't even know how to do it. Like last spring, you know, they, this isn't their normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, said, I can help you by um, maybe we can come out and we can do some educational programs. Cause they were still doing education of course online. Yep. So we had many teachers take us up on that and they came out and they, um, I did a little bit of teaching. They did a little bit of teaching. We looked at things, but they videoed it all. And um, they were able to share it with their students. We tried to do a few Zooms. That was a little bit dicey because when you start moving around on our farm, mm-hmm. uh, rural internet isn't always the best. And so then she'd lose the students. <laughs> you know, so we learned pretty quick that wasn't the best solution. Um, we also learned because she said, Oh, one of the teachers said, Oh, we'll just leave it open so the students can ask questions. And we learned pretty quickly that wasn't the way to do it. That might be tricky too. Talk at the same time, which is what would happen if they were here in person. But we'd say, Oh, each one, you have to stick up your hand or Mm -hmm. whatever, right? And and so so we learned a lot through that process. Some teachers bought the little packs um, so they could share them with the students as a a giveaway at the end of the year where they flowers or seeds or whatever um and and so some teachers still bought those packs to be able to do those things with um some bought um some, like herb gardens packs and so we we tried to package things together that the teachers and or a homeschooler or mm-hmm. uh, just just a, a family that wanted to do it could do it and um i did a lot of youtube videos which was something i kept saying oh i should do and i just i started doing them i just cool. said well i can show how to prune tomatoes online i can show people how our pumpkins grow and pollinate and and so then the, i shared that out with our email through an email with our teachers so they could use the youtube videos if they chose right um, and we did have a lot of people use those youtube videos whether they were teachers or not i don't know but um and and we just tried to support you know, people as they were going through it, because it was something we could do. Yeah. And I actually had the time because I didn't have all these wonderful kids here. Right. So it was, it was an opportunity for us to do that. We still ran our ABC program, which was kind of an idea I stole from a farm in the States. And I, we run it for eight weeks in the summertime. It's a preschool program. We have um, families book way far in advance to save a slot. Um, and we just reduced the numbers and made it a smaller group mm-hmm. uh, in Central Florida. Our numbers were very low at that time. We were allowed to have um, these small gather, gathering would be a wrong word, but these small groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were able to do that program, which is one hour every week for eight weeks. And that was really, for us, was a little bit of a bright spot because um, these kids love coming and the reason I continue to do that program and just love that program is many of those moms say our children's eating habits have changed Mm -hmm. because they're out picking bikini eating it raw they're out picking kohlrabi and trying it and if I asked to try kohlrabi they wouldn't do it so we're influencing children very young and we have about 75 families every year that join us for this program so last year was less and I just think that 75 families that I may have influenced their children to eat 
fruits and vegetables. That's so cool. That is really cool. Yeah, that is. I'm a mom of three young kids. And so that is like, that totally resonates with me. And just even the school programs, because, um, you know, my kids, we live in a rural area too, not on a farm, but kind of surrounded by it being with their hands, you know, kind of in the dirt, so to speak, and, and seeing how their food has grown, you know, we've got a nice big garden and they, they love that too. So if I ever get to central Alberta with them in, in the summertime, hopefully I'll uh, bring them out to, to see you because it sounds amazing. And, and I can definitely see how rewarding that would be on your end of things too. So that's wonderful. Um, so I wanted to ask you um, about risk taking. And I know that's something that in agriculture just kind of comes with the territory because there's all kinds of unknown factors. But um, what is the biggest risk that you have taken in your career? So I would say just coming back to the farm. I mean, we had been saving money up with the idea we were coming back. So we mm-hmm. purchased it for my parents because that was, as most farmers, that's their retirement fund, right. as it is with my husband and I, right? Yeah. Our retirement fund is the land. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we purchased it. We had been saving money up to purchase it for my parents. So, you know, as with all things, it's a large investment of dollars. Um, and so I think that was probably one of the biggest risks. But what we, what we, what we felt was important at that time was that we both had degrees and my husband actually has two. So we could easily work off the farm and farm. Mm-hmm. But I always felt that was so wrong that our agriculture industry expects, and I'm going to stereotype here, but the wife to be the nurse or the teacher to bring home money to pay for the farm. Mm-hmm. We're producing food. We're producing food for the public to consume yeah. and we make a living at that. It just is so wrong in my thoughts. And so I said to my husband, yes, we'll do contracts to help us get through this first while as we're getting our feet under us. And mm-hmm. um, we had a few unfortunate things happened. We came, we planned on coming home in 1996 that was our plan. Okay. And unfortunately, my father passed away from a massive heart attack in February. Oh. And so we didn't have his influence and knowledge when we came home. Now, luckily, my mom and dad were equal partners, and my mom knew so much, and we were able to really get that information from her. Mm-hmm. But my mom also um, very actively involved in other things. And so certain things she wouldn't have been aware of. We had sure. really good friends, neighbors that were had been working with dad as well and so could fill in some of those gaps but um i just feel that that uh it was a little bit unfortunate circumstances when we were coming home um but we said okay we are really going to work hard to not work off the farm we're Mm -hmm. not going to take our degrees and go to get full-time jobs we are going to be farmers that's Mm -hmm. what we're going to do so I'll be quite honest, there were some really slim years when we first came back, but I'll never regret that decision because I was able to be a mom and be home with my boys and be actively farming, which mm-hmm. of course was a job in and of itself, those two, right? Absolutely. But I think yeah. that that was probably the biggest risk we took is making that decision. And we were fortunate with, you know, all the stars aligned. Mm-hmm worked out that we were able to do that piece and not work off the farms because I think it's very difficult when when one partner chooses to to work off the farm to then get rid of that income and just slowly go back to the farm so uh, as much as you can say you're going to do that at some time in the future I think it becomes very challenging to do that you rely on that absolutely yeah yeah 
so I, that would be what I would say was one of the, was the biggest risk we took and, and we were successful, which I'm thankful every day for. Yeah, I could imagine that definitely is a risk. Like you said, that having degrees or having other options for employment is kind of an insurance policy, right? Well, here we can fall back on this if we have to, but like you said, having to adjust and, and getting used to, you know, a secondary income like that and changing and going back to working on the farm full time would be probably even harder in some ways I could imagine. So that's, I'm, I'm very glad everything worked out for you. And I think that's definitely bold. And, um, it's a good example for your, for your kids as well, because they've always, you know, seen mom working on the farm and and doing just as much as, as dad does. And, and yeah, seeing that family involvement is really cool for them. I'm sure. Awesome. Um, so I also in turn kind of, you know, looking at risks, obviously there's challenges and, and you mentioned a few of those there already. And, and unfortunately timing with your, with your father's passing would be really difficult, I'm sure. But I wanted to ask about some of those challenges or, or, or maybe even biggest lessons learned over your career? Yeah. You know, and some of these questions I always struggle with. Right. And so I was actually sitting down and we talked about it as a family, like, what do you think, you know, sometimes it's difficult to say, Oh, this is my biggest accomplishment or a moment of turning, or this is my biggest challenge. And you know, it was my kids, my kids who said, you know, mom, we often wondered how you did that. You balanced work and being a mom, like, wasn't Mm -hmm. that challenging? Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, this is good. They're asking me this because then I think I did it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Cause many times you, as a woman, you wonder, and, and I think this is really, and my husband would disagree with me, but I really do think this is a women's issue mm-hmm. that we want to contribute to the family, mm-hmm. whether that's monetarily working, whether that's what, you know, putting the value at being a stay at home mom, mm-hmm. um, we want to to the family we want to raise our children to be good working citizens in our society Um, but we also maybe have career aspirations and we also have education that we want to take advantage of and and Mm -hmm. utilize because that's what we we spent our time and energy doing at a younger time so how do we balance that and I think that is always that is a that is really a challenge as Mm -hmm. women that we do face because there's the, the pressure of society for us to have that clean house and the washed clothes and the, you know, yeah. and I'm, you would understand some of those things as a, as a woman. And, and I, and I, and I thought, isn't that interesting that he would say that maybe that was one of the challenges I really faced. And it really was. I always questioned myself when our children were young and I had them, you know, in the strawberry patch weeding with me. Cause as we were starting, we, we physically did a ton of the work because mm-hmm. we felt we could or to hire people. Sure. And I was so blessed to have my mom, who's one of my strongest role models, be on the farm with us at that time. So mm-hmm. with my dad passing away, my mom and dad had purchased a home off the, the farm and mm-hmm. she made the decision to, to continue that move even without dad. But she also needed to be actively involved in the farm because that was who dad was sure. and that was who they were. Sure. And so she said, I need to come back and be part of it which for us was such a blessing. And so she moved from being actively part of seeding the grains to, I don't need to do that anymore in a couple of years, but I really want to be actively involved with the children, with Mm -hmm. them. So she did meal, 
kids. And so I didn't have to have my little, you know, baby out while I'm trying to weed and pick and he could have some time and really, so, so to them, they saw it as a very balanced for me, mm-hmm. I felt the pressure and felt yeah. it was a balance. So I, I was pleased when he said that, but it, it brought to me the mind that that probably was something I struggled mentally with all the time. I'm working here at midnight. My kids are in bed. They are safe, but am I doing right? Yeah. I, life, you know, long, always a, a challenge that, that uh, women will struggle with for, mm-hmm. for always. Oh, I can so relate to that. And, and, you know, you wonder if you're constantly wondering if you're making the right decision, you know, is this the, is this, should I be snuggling with them or should I be out here? Or should I be bringing them out here with me? Is it dangerous? Is it, you know, all of the, the choices that you would have to make with that wonderful that your mom was able to, to be there and, and help you. And I'm sure those are, you know, cherished memories for her as well as your kids and, and having that extra time with a grandparent is so wonderful too, but yeah, I can, I can so relate to everything you just said in a different way, of course, cause I don't farm, but yeah, yeah it's, it's a struggle. And I think so many women listening will have that because, um, it, it's so hard to make sure that you're giving you know, enough of yourself to all of the parts that you want to give yourself to, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. Uh, I didn't talk about that, but that whole safety issue on a farm is really paramount. I mean, we, w- we would all be just sick if something happened to our children, you know, and it, and it happens so fast. Mm-hmm. So, But I remember being a young girl and my parents farming and they were, it was, they were bailing. And they yeah. set a tent. I just saw pictures because my p- sister posted them on Facebook in our internal group. Uh, old canvas tent up on the side of the field because we weren't close to the farm yard. Mm-hmm. My older sister and I would have been slightly older. So maybe babysitting age, we would have had two younger siblings. Right. And we were told we would have had our lunch with us. And they, my mom would have set it up as an adventure. We would have had of our course. lunch with us. And we would have had to bring activities. And we were expected to entertain ourselves for the day. And yeah. we were not out in that field. We yeah. we go to the edge and wave if we had like some deathly issue because there was no cell phones. Yeah. So that's what we were expected to do. We were sitting right by a gravel road. We were, you know, when I think of it now, I think, oh my goodness, <laughs> no safety regulation. But it worked. And we were expected to do it. And that's what we did. Right. Yeah. And and I think there's lots of farm families that do similar type things to make it work. Absolutely. And because we have, you know, more readily accessible childcare and, mm-hmm. and I had my mom and mm-hmm. again, I know, I know my kids value grandma time, like no one's business. And, yeah. and that's such a huge part of their, their livelihood, but that older generation and making the farm a safer place is an important part. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, like you said, everybody was just doing what, what you had to do because it was necessary. Like you just, you, you make it work and um, yeah, I can, I can just picture that. And, and thinking back you as an adult now thinking back, you're probably cringing being like, Oh wow. Maybe that wasn't super safe, but also how cool to have those memories and, and, you know, being able to watch it. And, and I just think that's such an important part of your story and, and your history too. That's really cool. Yeah. And we had no TV out there. I can tell you. I can imagine that. Well, and I was even just thinking that, you know, even now, sure. You could set a kid up. I mean, like I said, my kids are young. I can put them in front of a tablet for a half an hour, but 
they don't have that attention span. They don't want to sit there. They want to get up and see what, what I'm doing. And, and, you know, so I might get 20 or 30 minutes of quiet time to, to do whatever I have to do, but, uh, yeah, even that won't hold their attention for, for an entire day. So not that I want them to be in front of it either, but you know what I'm saying? It's, uh, yeah, kids, kids are curious. They want to get out there and and see what's going on. So yeah, that's funny. Those kinds of stories are what I love hearing about in, in interviewing people like yourself, because, um, you know, like I said before, everything that you're saying is so relatable to me on a different level, even though I don't farm. And I love that, you know, our listeners today will be able to, I'm sure laugh along with, with those stories. So Um, Leona, I wanted to ask you as well about accomplishments and defining moments and, you know, all of those words, those kinds of really kind of sound cheesy, but it's important to celebrate those as well. And so I wondered if you could share, um, a big accomplishment or one of a really important thing, um, that's, that's happened in your life that you're really proud of. You know, I, that was when I struggled with, and, and again, my, one of my boys made a comment that I went, ah, okay, that's not relevant, but now I know what my defining moment is. So I have been blessed with many opportunities to get some lovely awards, right? I have been, and, and those are important to me. And I value the people who nominated me that they felt I was worthy to be nominated. Mm -hmm. But if I want to talk about a defining moment, truly that set me on the trajectory of where I am today, it was that 13 year old with wide eyes, seeing this district home economist saying, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I then moved forward, became a district home economist and worked with the most amazing women. They were strong, independent, had showed incredible leadership and all were passionate about agriculture and work ethic beyond, work ethic beyond. And I worked with this group of women. I think there were 62 district home economists in the province at that time. And I had an opportunity when I was in my third year university to work with uh, as a summer student with one and with uh, 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 Karen Hoover was her name in Mm -hmm. Three Hills. And it just solidified to me. That's what I want to do. Karen was so motivational. And I think that's a defining moment for me. Like, I just think from there, a lot of the things I did being a home economist is a different mindset. It's this organizational I don't want to use the word maternal, but truly it is. It's like the taking care of, of the world. And mm-hmm. it, that is kind of a mindset that's in there. And that's what I got at university. And I love being around those women to this day. And my best friends still are, are many of those, my classmates, my graduates that I keep in touch with, that I just, I like being with them. I, I feel mm-hmm. comfortable. And that is a defining moment in my life was that, that district home economist when I was 13 years old, Marilyn McNeil, she was young at a university, keen, excited. And I said, that's who I want to be. Now, the interesting thing is, which is kind of one of the other questions, but at 25, I went, wow, this is what I've wanted to be since I was 13. And I'm here. I've done it. <laughs> and now what? Because I thought this, this is great. And I love the job. Don't get me wrong. I love the job. I love the people. I loved everything about it. I truly did. There were so many, I could just, I could tell you story after story after story that these amazing rural people that mm-hmm. I, in all the communities I worked in, um, that inspired me and taught me things and helped me grow as a, as a professional. There's so many stories I could tell, but I just went, okay, now where do I go from here? Mm-hmm. And I, 
questions was, you know, if you go back, what would you tell yourself? And I think I needed to tell myself to think bigger. Like I so was in the moment. And my husband says, that's who you are. You know, you're the get the job done. You're Uh not the long-term thinker. And it would be that my career will go beyond this one you know, I am not a one career person and I, I have learned that now. Well, that's very evident given what all of the ways that you've expanded in the jungle farm too. I can, that makes perfect sense to me. So. And I think that comes back to some of the things I like doing this, this, this education. Like when we were back doing the market garden, I said to me, this is great. You know, I love having these people come out but I miss the education. Mm-hmm. So maybe I should have been a teacher. Like maybe I should have been a teacher, but I just think education was so important to me. And that's mm-hmm. what I did as a economist was education, particularly with rural women and with 4-H. So two really important pieces of my life mm-hmm. um, was, those, was those two pieces together. And again, I got to meet so many influential women in agriculture, when I saw what they did in their communities, how they volunteered, how they created these communities, you know, that has to be, that is, that is who made me who I am is, is that experience. And then from there, I've been able to, to take it and build it, but, but I needed to bring that education piece back to the farm. Cool. And as much as sometimes uh, it, it takes away from some of the production, I can't let that piece go. What what'll happen in the future for the farm? It's hard to say because we need to have someone here, and it's not my voice that's passionate about that piece, right? Sure. They, yeah, that needs to to move it forward because you. I truly believe you have to be passionate to continue to do that piece. Mm-hmm. It can't be something you're doing just because you're doing it. Yeah, uh, it, it'll get lost. You know, you'll lose that component of it. To, Absolutely. Age, the kids and and adults and stuff. So. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So if that's the advice that you've given yourself, now what's the best piece of advice that you've received from someone else that you've met along the way? Oh gosh. Um, I would say, um, would be to start, to start small. I, I remember, a, a specialist when we were starting said, well, you know, if you're going to start strawberries, you know, start small and see how, you know, learn, learn from that. And we did that. So of the many things we did wrong, we, we planted 3000 strawberries the very first year. Mm-hmm. Now we plant about 180,000 strawberries. So, you know, you can see there's been a growth in yep. the last 20 <laughs> years, um, 25 years, but we learned a lot. You know, we learned about weeds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, mm-hmm. uh, we learned about, you know, just the pure physical work that it takes to do 3000 strawberries. I mean, my mom always had a big garden, but it's different when it's, um, when it's a bigger commercial component. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that that would be, I think what was really wise advice. And it's something I often tell people and it's, it's easy to think, oh, well, if I can do 3000, I'm going to do 50,000. And, and that's where, where people get lost in the, in the works, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's so much more work and you haven't got your systems down. You haven't got protocols. You haven't figured out exactly how to weed. You haven't figured out how you're going to look after the soils, the spraying, the whatever. And if you start with small, it, it allows you to learn those things, get uh, systems in place and, and grow larger. Mm-hmm. So that is, a, you know, that was a great piece of advice that we accidentally did follow. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know how it is. People can give you a piece of advice and you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yep. <laughs> it's true. But then you do have to start somewhere, right? And and being able to scale that at a manageable level, I, I think would be helpful. But um I I relate to the, you know, being kind of a in the moment, let's just do this and then and go from there without thinking of the, maybe the future implications a little bit. So I'm glad that that worked out for you, but um, yeah, starting small is definitely a, a good way, good way to start. Leona, I know that there's a lot of things that excite you about agriculture and about your role. It's very obvious listening just in this conversation today. And I love that so much. Um, but I want to know what keeps you excited. And, and, and we already talked about kind of, you know, what you like best about your role and what gets you out of bed, but um, what's the motivation, you know, long-term kind of going forward and, and keeping you in, in ag and, and uh, in your role and excitement? Well, agriculture is such a positive place to be. To me, I, I, there's so many positive things about agriculture. And, and I love when I get a phone call from my local newspaper that says, we need a positive story. And, and right now, there is that. And so do you have something to tell us? And I think, oh, isn't that awesome? That's but cool. I'm seen as a positive story, right? I, I think that's really great. And, and so to be part of growing food for people, I don't know, I just, it's just, it's just great. I, mm. I can't... I can't put my finger on it. And I think it's growing up on a farm, being immersed in it all my life. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I value that as much as I should have as a child. I'm sure that's my boys could tell you the same thing, right? That you just take it for granted. Mm-hmm. And I so, I so remember going through that time with my boys where they said, we want to live in town. You know, you can, <laughs> you can actually like order pizza and it'll come right to your door if you live in town. And we can't do that here. Uh... <laughs> Could you live in a little postage stamp backyard? Like, yeah. could you? Um, so I think you know, yeah, it's just it's just part of my my fibers, I guess. And I don't know that I can put into words what what keeps me passionate about agriculture, but it is a positive place to be. Yeah. And and I think the acknowledgement from the public right now of a food is uh, is very gratifying. Mm-hmm. And I don't want a scarcity of food to cause people to appreciate agriculture, but people are appreciating agriculture right now. And, and I, I, I'm thankful for mm-hmm. that. Um, every day I'm thankful we could be open because we were seeing essential service. Yeah. Essential service. Yeah. I mean, oh my goodness, that is, if that doesn't give us a pat on the back, I don't know what would, Yeah. you know, so I, I think there's been so many, okay, there's not been lots of positives, but there's been so many positive things in the air culture world this last year. Mm-hmm. And, and we all need to celebrate and acknowledge those. Yeah, I think you're so right. Like I said earlier, you know, people have just focused so much on, on getting back to even a little bit more of a simpler way of life because we've been forced to in some way, right. Where we, you know, the hustle and bustle of our regular schedules are gone. And now we have time to grow a garden and we have time to bake bread and we have time to try all of the, you know, all of these trends in, in food and um, that we might not have been able to do before. And of course we want to support our, you know, local economies as much as we can, but agriculture is essential. And so now being able to spend that time on learning about, you know, how to grow your own food or where your food comes from. And I think that's such a cool part of it. I agree. It's, and how nice, like you said, how nice that it's a positive story because it it really is. Uh, It really, really is. 
Very mm-hmm. cool. Okay. I have one final question for you uh, before we sign off. Um, but I want to know how you see the egg industry changing in the next five to 10 years and where you see the industry going and what you personally would like to see more of in agriculture. Cause I know, you know, it's obvious and I'm sure in, in your career, you've seen myriad changes with technology and, and um, you know, just I mean, with everything. So what would you like to see more of and how do you see it continuing to change? So, I mean, I think the, you know, probably 10 or 15 years ago, I remember people asking the question, do you see this local food thing as a trend or is it here to stay? And I had said at the time, well, I hope it's here to stay. Mm-hmm. I don't think, it's a trend, but that the person who was asking me the question felt it was a trend that would, would pass by. So that is, now we can fast forward from that time and yeah. it, it is a trend. You know, people are interested in local and um, supporting local. But of course, COVID has exemplified that. Mm-hmm. I personally am making decisions to go and buy something more frequently from my local whatever business in town than I will be to put stuff online or to go and buy it further afield. Mm-hmm. And I making a conscious personal decision to do that so that this is COVID will have actually jumped this um, trend mm-hmm. this desire I think is admitted even more so mm-hmm. partially because needed something to do like you said and staycations was the thing and yeah. so one of, the things that, one of the things they could do was come to our farm and yeah. oh I haven't done that so I'm going to try that out and and so that connecting to the farm and of course when I was asking health officials what's the rules and he said well inside this is the rules I don't know what it is outside how much land do you have yeah 100 acres and so I said how many people can we put on per acre you know like I that became some one of the semantics that wasn't there was no answer for Mm -hmm. so we went try to look at the rules and fit in the best best that we could but anyway so I think so I think that the world of wanting to connect to food I've had many people say to me, I just want to know that I can get food for my family. So if I can get it from you and I know you personally, then I know I can get still secure food. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't want people to be scared that we're not going to have food. We yeah. are one of the food baskets of the world in Canada and aren't we fortunate. Mm-hmm. But what I think I hope is that we continue to expand our value added, that we quit sending, not quit, but we decrease the amount of raw product we're sending out. We're incredible growers of grains, of meats, of all these various agriculture products. But the more we can value at it, the dollars are gonna stay in our country for our people to be employed. Mm-hmm. We're growers as farm, as in agriculture. We are excellent growers. We just need that step in between. So we're exporting more of that refined, processed, ready to go mm-hmm. product. And we're, and it's happening in Canada. So that's one of my hopes that I would hope to see that happen in air culture. I, I don't expect <clears throat> to see any decrease in the demand for locally grown fruits and vegetables. And we're seeing that more and more in the grocery stores where they're trying to actually to, to have those available in a large scale. Mm-hmm. And so I there's going to be a great opportunity for individuals who want to do that, who want to wholesale and, and sell into the grocery store. I think there's going to be more opportunities for, for that to happen. 
And again, this was a question that I asked of, of my boys. We have three, three boys and I, I asked of my boys and, and the one who's you know, back helping, uh, working on the farm, he said, well, he says, I think you know, the whole idea of precision and that ag tech is the way of the future and it's only gonna become more so. And he says, and we need to be more precise we need to continue care of our land. We need to be better stewards of our soils. And we need money at the end of the day. And precision will lead the way to make that happen. Because we also still do grain. Mm -hmm. And I thought, hmm, that is a very insightful comment. Um, and I, I agree with what he said. Of course, that's not where what was foremost in my mind. <laughs> Mine was around that whole locally grown, um, the education. I, yeah. I, I foresee that we actually see maybe a focus maybe even in curriculum that mm -hmm. says our, our students need to know more about agriculture. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely, from our teachers that come out with the field trips, they value that opportunity to, to have that connection for their students to see where food's coming from because they are like me saying there's many students that don't know, that don't know um, how things grow and don't understand mm -hmm. that, that blossom makes a, a strawberry. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we'll have them and I'll explain how it all works. And I say, so when I pick this strawberry, what are you going to do? And my, my opinion would be, I'm going to eat it. Yeah. What does a little say? I'm going to go to the grocery store and be able to buy it. And I thought we're still disconnected. Oh. You're right here. We're seeing this. You could actually eat this strawberry. And yet you don't understand that you can pick that off that plant and you can eat it. You mm -hmm. think you still have to go to the grocery store and buy it. So I know there's still, still more opportunities to educate. And of course, I'm only seeing a small portion of the students that are here. And there's just so much more. So mm -hmm. if agriculture can, and there's so many concerns around biosecurity. So we have to, I understand we have to be cautious and careful, of course. but if we can send out those positive messages and, and really help our consumers understand terminology that's out there. What does Roundup Ready mean? And what does mm -hmm. that mean to us as a farm, as a farm community? And what does GMO mean? And what mm -hmm. does that mean? And in, what does organic mean? And, and it, really a true better understanding and that, that's a big ask, but mm -hmm. that would be a wish of mine that, that, that as a society, we better understand. You know, and that's in any industry. I of don't course. understand the oil and gas industry. And, and I live in the, the province that does it, right? Mm -hmm. And there'd be many their terminologies and their, their practices that, that I don't understand, but I also feel that I'm not the one to judge. Mm -hmm. and, and so I, I can always learn. The, the difference between oil and gas, although I use my vehicle every day, mm -hmm. the difference between oil and gas and farming is it is much more touchable for farming yes. and, and children are touching it because they're putting it in their mouth every mm -hmm. day, times a day, four times a day. So it is much more understandable. Mm -hmm. and, and my last wish would be as a society that we really understand the health benefits of what we put in our body. And, you know, um, although I talked about refining things, you know, which we have to do with our grains, we're not mm -hmm. out there chewing on barley, For sure. um, we all love our beer, but it is, is how, how can we connect these little people to love fruits and vegetables, uh, love eating those raw uh, foods so that they continue to do that right through their life. Mm -hmm. That's that will make a big impact on our health system is that healthy eating and that it is attainable for all people in all sectors of, of economic status mm -hmm. um, with gardens or 
patio planters or and I get some people don't have a green thumb I I'm, I'm the first to admit that my house plants die um, <laughs> um, there is so much great information out there and seeing something grow and produce a tomato you know seeing that plant grow and produce a little cherry tomato that I can eat there's such a learning to be had in that so I, that would be you know that would be one of my wishes that, that people would just be able to connect and, and eat and enjoy really mm -hmm. good fresh produce um because that's where we that's the world we work in for sure would be the real love of mine you know to have that for all children um no matter what home they come from mm -hmm. that's so important and and it's so gratifying when you are able to plant something from a seed and see it like you said produce a tomato or produce a strawberry and it's so it's amazing to watch as an adult and if you think of the way that children are able to you know see things you know you always talk about seeing things through a child's eyes but they they can experience that in such a different way and it's even more incredible for them so um i think that's so important i'm i'm right there with you and you know it i think it will take a lot more people like you to continue to talk about agriculture and the benefits of it and and the positive messages because there's a lot of misinformation out there but there's also a lot of really really good information out there and really good places to get that from and and i think we are working in the right direction, we as an industry, um, but um, we need more people like you to get out there and kind of spread that, the good word about it. So thank you for what you're doing. And um, so wonderful to hear about your career and your life and your, your dreams and, and um, just your passions. Cause that's, that's really, like I said, it's just people like you that we need, we need more of, we'll just clone you and take you to all of the provinces. And well, Leona, thank you again for, um, talking with me today. This was so awesome to, to hear your story and hear about you. Um, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the opportunity. And I, I so appreciate um, the honor of being selected as one of the women in, in Canadian agriculture, because it is near and dear to my heart. So to be recognized for something that I'm passionate about is, is always um, very gratifying. So it was a great day to, to spare, share with you. And of course, I love talking about my farm. I hope you noticed that. And I <laughs> love so hearing that about was, it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a real treat. Thanks for tuning in to Egg Annex Talks, the podcast hosted by the agriculture brands of Annex Business Media. You can subscribe to Egg Annex Talks wherever you listen to podcasts or visit eggannex.com to catch up on all of our other episodes.